0: Well, good morning, Riverview. Hey, it's good to be with you again. I've, I've met some of you before, been here before. That was 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. Would you guys get out your Bibles and turn there or pull out your phones? That's the passage that we're gonna be in. Uh, my name is Ronnie Goble. And yeah, right now we're planting Rooted Church uh, just north of Detroit, Michigan in, in Royal Oak, okay? To, to really reach a community um, around there called the Woodward Corridor. Several different communities, that desperately need Jesus. We're excited to to be making disciples right now. We're kind of gathering as a team uh, in my living room on Sunday nights. And at Easter, we're looking to covenant together to become a new church. And so, hey, if you know somebody that lives down there, again, Southfield, Berkeley, Royal Oak, Ferndale, any of those communities that are just north of Detroit, please, let's talk after the service. I would love to to tell you more about what we're doing. If you wanna pick up and move, with us. I would love to talk to you about that as well. So, so please I'm I'm excited to to get into that with you. Um, that passage second Corinthians 2 12 through 17 turn there. Today is, is is Super Bowl Sunday, right? Um a day it's a it's an exciting day but kind of a day of mourning and, and grieving for us. I get it. Like we we should be there and and it is part of I maybe some of you guys aren't even going to watch it. I, my brother-in-law's boycotting the game. Um <laughs> One thing you're gonna to see tonight, kind of the drama of the Super Bowl, right, is, is who, who will win, okay? Who's gonna win? And, and, and there's, there's two different types of, of uh, people that are gonna be out there on the field tonight, two different types of people scoring touchdowns. There's gonna to be the guys that when they score a touchdown, they, they get the whole theatrics out there and they do like a, a touchdown dance and they involve their teammates. And it's like, how did they, with all that they're doing, how do they have time to plan that out, okay? There's gonna be those people. And then there's gonna be the guys that they score a touchdown and, and they just, they do what, they, they hand the ball to the ref? Now out here in, in uh, the church today, which, which one of you guys are, are kind of like the, I'm just gonna hand the ball to the ref kind of, kind of person? Would you raise your hands for me if you're, you're just gonna hand it to the ref? Okay, okay. How, who, who's my touchdown tans, dance people out here today? Now guys, you know that uh, the sin of pride is well, <laughs> well, documented, well documented in the Bible. I teach my boys, I, got, I have a six-year-old boy, a four-year-old boy, and, and we have a newborn uh, two weeks ago. Yeah, three, three little boys. Thank you. Uh, man, I, I teach them, we, we hand that ball to the ref. Act, act like you've been there before. But whatever, whatever your approach is, the, the thread that runs through it all is, we all, we all wanna win, right? Okay, the Super Bowl as as fun as it is, just watch it, it actually touches on one of the deepest and most natural drives underneath everything that we do. So whether you're a teenager in this room trying to find your way like in your social circle or an adult in the middle of your career, trying to look around and evaluate if you've been successful, or if you're in a later season of life and you're looking back and saying, hey, did I, did I accomplish something? This common thread, of just you don't even have to think too hard about it. We all wanna come on top victorious. And so a simple question to start is just, are, are you winning right now in life? Have you stopped to consider that lately? It, and even as I ask it, is it even possible to, to answer that question? Am I, am I winning in life? If you heard the passage, Paul, he, he said it in our text. He said, thanks be to God who always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession. Okay, as you've been journeying along in 2 Corinthians, the, the context, this is, this is a fascinating statement for 2 Corinthians because Paul, as you know, he's in conflict with the Corinthian church. His authenticity, his, his integrity, his competency as a pastor is, is being questioned and, and he's really losing this comparison battle, right, to these other preachers. He calls them the, the super apostles. And, and for us, Paul's like a really big deal, right, in, in the Bible and in the church and in church history today. But if you were to look at his life at this moment as he's writing this, he, you, you would say he's, he's losing. Guess what 2 Corinthians is about? He's, he's suffering, he's... He's misunderstood, he's looked down upon. And, and part of the accusation from the Corinthian church is that, you know, Paul, he's kind of a loser. And like us, the Corinthians don't wanna be associated with the loser. They wanna attach themselves to a, a winner. But yet here's Paul in our passage today as he, as he writes to them and he's, hey, I'm, I'm, on, a, I'm on a victory parade with Jesus. And so in this series that you're in called, called uh, Cruciformed, this, this is a passage about how Jesus, he, he transforms our vision for what it really means to win or lose in life. And he, he patterns it after the cross and, and his resurrection. And it's gonna press on us because it, it's, it's counterintuitive. It shows us that it's possible to, to look and feel like you're losing in life, but really be winning. And on the flip side, it's possible to look and feel like you're winning in life to yourself and to others and actually be losing. Okay, so with that in mind, it's it's a pretty simple sermon. I got I got two points, and I just want you to kind of grab a hold of this as we get into the passage. whatever your life looks like right now, whatever it, it feels like right now in your eyes, in, in the eyes of, of the world, two points. Jesus wins. And with Jesus, you win. Okay, Jesus wins. Point number one, look with me at verses 12 and 13. Paul, what he's doing in this is he's updating them on his travels. He's been planting churches all across the Mediterranean and he's basically telling them like, hey, here's why I haven't made it back to Corinth yet. He says, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though the Lord opened a door for me, listen to this, I I had no rest in my spirit. He's, he's unsettled, he's disturbed, he's bothered because I did not find my brother Titus. So instead, instead of staying there, I, I said goodbye to them and, and I left for Macedonia. Now, so what was going on here is he, he's supposed to, to meet up with Titus as he's in Troas doing ministry and really because Titus had a response letter from the Corinthians about how they felt about him. Okay, so he's wanting to hear from the Corinthians of like, how, how are we in this conflict after this letter that he's written them, but he doesn't see Titus there. And so even though he says, God's giving me great success in ministry, he opened a door, he's experiencing this, this inner turmoil because he doesn't know where he stands with the Corinthians. Have you ever felt like that before where there's things that are going well on the outside, but on the inside you, you don't have rest? in your spirit, in your soul, in your heart, right? Like everything can be going well uh, on the outside, but if you're not right relationally with, with that person, right, that, that friend, your spouse, that family member, it's like your heart just isn't at rest. And, and that's it, that's, that's how Paul felt at Troas. And so he says, even though I had fruitful ministry there, I decided to leave and go to Macedonia. And that's actually where he eventually meets Titus. You guys will get there in, in chapter seven of this book. You'll hear about that. But what I want you to grab hold of is, is that's kind of the, the uh, spiritual emotional state that Paul is in. And it's from that place, okay? From that place of discouragement and, and real setback the fear and the worry of, of potential loss with the Corinthians that Paul, what he does is he, he reframes his moment. And what does he do? He, come, he comes to this place of, of deep gratitude, gratitude and, and joy, even as he suffers. Wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be unbelievable for your life if you could learn to do that, to make that move that Paul does, no matter what your circumstances are? To say like, Paul, I have no rest in my spirit, but, but thanks thanks be to God. And how does he do it? It's, it's this phrase that's really at the center of the passage, this, this imagery he's gonna give us, the, he calls it the triumph of Christ, the victory of Jesus. When Paul felt like he was gonna lose the Corinthians And when he was looked at as a loser by the Corinthians, Paul's heart, it still sings out with thanksgiving because he's he's looking at this situation through this lens of the victory that he has in Jesus. He's like, hey, it might look like I'm losing, but because I follow Jesus, I'm always winning. And so when Paul refers to Christ, he calls it Christ's triumphal procession. He's writing this to Corinthians. They, they would have known what he meant, okay? Because in, in this time uh, period in the Roman Empire, they're picturing this thing that they would have seen a lot. It's this big, spectacular, really the most spectacular event in the Roman Empire, this triumphal procession. And what it was is it's a, a big uh, parade of a, of a military victory for the empire, Okay, they would have seen him going in and about all these different Roman cities. You can think of it as like this is the, the ultimate symbol of, of winning, this big military parade. And, and the highest honor that any Roman general or Caesar could get is to, to get to be the leader in one of these parades. You'd be out front showing that you are the, the ultimate victor, the ultimate conqueror. And so Paul says that that he's actually a part of, of Jesus' triumphal procession. He says Jesus has has defeated his enemies, and, and right now, listen to this, right now he, he is on a, a victory parade around the world. He's won and he is winning. And, and, and I do think this morning that that haven't we somewhat lost sight of, of that vision of Jesus? Of, of Jesus as as this mighty conquering warrior. It, it's all throughout the pages of scripture. It's, it's such a big part of, of the narrative of the story that God's telling. Look, look at a couple passages with me. In, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul again, he, he just, I mean, he, he bursts out in like a victory chant. You guys will probably read this at Easter. It's like a vis- victory chant and, and he literally, he taunts death. He says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin and, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Colossians chapter two, verses 13 through 15, he, uh, Paul trash talks the devil, <laughs> Talking smack to the devil. Listen to what he says. He says, and when you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, talking about us, sinners, when you were dead, he made you alive with him and he forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and and he has taken away by nailing it to the cross and and this is the smack talk. He says, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities. He's talking about the devil and his demons. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and he disgraced them publicly, (laughs) triumphing over them in him. This, this, is, this is what Paul is seeing, okay? When, when he says that Christ's triumphal procession, he's like, I'm a part of that victory parade, celebrating that victory. Can I, can I pull those, those two verses I just shared together for you? Paul is saying right now, Jesus is taking a victory lap around the world. He's on a parade proclaiming that he has conquered. And if you were on the side of the road watching this parade go by and you just see all these people in the celebration, you ask the person next to you, like, what, what did he do? Who, who, who did he defeat? They would say, that's Jesus and he defeated death itself. He, he, he defeated Satan. And how? I mean, it seems unbelievable, right? How is it that Jesus of Nazareth swallowed up death, as Paul said, so that it cannot sting his people? By dying. By dying on the cross for their sins, listen to each move here, in their place as their substitute. Okay, what Jesus did at the cross is he absorbed the condemnation that we sinners deserved he, he drank the cup of God's wrath for us. That's how, that's how he defeat, that's how he swallowed up death. He stood in our place and, and he, he took it. And how did Jesus disarm the devil? Well, by forgiving his people of all their trespasses and sins, Paul says in Colossians 2. Erasing their debt so that we are able to walk free from his accusations. Let me, let me keep trying to make this clear. Let me say it to you this way. Satan, the great enemy of, of this world, of God, of your soul, he, he has uh, a couple main weapons that he uses against us to deceive us and tempt us into sinning. Okay, deception, temptation. But then also to accuse us of our guilt before God so that we sink in our shame all the way to hell with him. That's the, the, the weapon in his hands, that, that accusation. It's the whisper in your ear. Temptation and accusation. And so how did Jesus disarm the devil? Well, how can the devil accuse you of your guilt if your debt has been paid. Like believer, if you're with Jesus this morning, the devil, he he can and will tempt you to sin, but he cannot rightly prosecute you for your sin. Hebrews chapter nine, verse 27 says this, it says, it is appointed for people, all people to die once, and then after this, to face judgment. So everyone in this room will live and die and face God to give an account for their life. Everyone, all all of you, all of us. And and when you die and you meet God, he'll, he'll be on his throne and he will know everything you ever thought and felt and did and failed to do. And Satan... The devil, the accuser, the deceiver who has pretended to be your friend in this life, whispering, leading you towards what he tells you is the good life, on that day he will turn out to be the prosecuting attorney. Arguing for the guilt, arguing for a guilty verdict on your life because of your sin that he tempted you toward. But as Satan reaches for those papers, okay, in this courtroom scene, as he reaches for those papers that show the list of your sin, the record of your debt against God, his only grounds, his only weapon to condemn you, he will come up empty-handed. Satan will come up empty-handed because as Paul says, your certificate of debt has been erased by Jesus. That's how Jesus disarmed the devil. He's empty-handed. And Jesus is not like a crooked defense attorney (laughs) that has, has tampered with the evidence and just hid it away. What did Paul say? Paul says he took it away, nailing it to the cross. Listen, believer, Jesus, he took the punishment of God's wrath for you instead of you. And think about this, the cross, it... It appeared to be a public disgrace for Jesus, right? It, it, it looked like the darkness had won as he hung up there, but three days later, when Christ rose from the dead, Paul says he triumphed over the devil. Okay, this was like a knockout punch in a boxing match. You know, where the guy's down, down on the ground, he, he brought Satan to the ground. Jesus, I picture him, he, he stood over him. Okay, this is where I'm a little bit okay with, with this maybe happening in the Super Bowl tonight. He stood over him as he was on the ground. Genesis 3.15, he will crush his head and the serpent will bruise his heel. This is the moment. Stepped on his head and he began a victory parade that will one day culminate in the expulsion of sin and Satan and demons in the fire of hell forever and death will be no more. And God... God, the great judge, you can think of him as the, the great referee of that boxing match, that knockout punch. He's not gonna penalize Jesus for taunting because he is right. So listen, church. Pull that all together. At the cross, Jesus won by an apparent loss. This is the triumph of Christ. This is what Paul saw. This is the reality that he lived in. And so he's, he's full of gratitude and, and joy in any and every circumstance because he, he knows that he belongs to King Jesus, and, and no matter what is he's facing, he's, he's winning because Jesus is winning and he's won. But get this, Paul, he, he, he's not only grateful. For Jesus' victory in the past and the, the certainty that he'll enjoy it in the future. But but what he's actually saying in this passage is he's he's grateful that that his life in ministry right now, okay, your your life in ministry right now is is a part of the victory parade. That's what he's grateful for. Okay, Paul, he's not delusional. He's, he's very intelligent. He's, very, he's, he's, a, he's a realist that sees the realist thing <laughs> that is in Christ. He's, he's not in denial about the sufferings that he's experiencing. He's not in denial about the setbacks. He's not manifesting positive thoughts that are totally out of touch with reality and oblivious to, to the real losses, okay, that he has already faced in his life, the, the potential loss of the Corinthians. He, he sees all of that, but here it is. He just knows... That loss is a part of how he wins. He knows that suffering is the path to glory. And he remembers that it was actually losing that got him into the victory parade in the first place. He says, Thanks be to God who always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession. So remember that the triumphal procession, what it is, is it's this victory parade for a a king, a king who has conquered his enemies. So picture it, you'd you'd have like this king and you'd have all of his army and his soldiers and they'd be parading through the city and and they'd be showing off the, the spoils of their victory and maybe a bunch of material possessions that they've kind of gathered from this enemy land. It'd, it'd be this big spectacle, but the, the, you know what the greatest trophy of all that they would be carrying with them, trailing behind them, would be? It'd be the, the, the strongest enemy soldiers that they defeated and who are now walking in, in chains as, as conquered subjects of the new kingdom, slaves. These conquered enemies, now slaves, were the greatest trophy of all, the spoils of war. And think about it, their role in the celebration, the parade, is to show off the greatness of the one who had defeated them. And so this is what's so shocking about this passage and Paul's choice of it and his perspective on life is he's actually not picturing himself as one of the king's soldiers, but as one of the king's conquered enemies. There's many places in scripture that actually do talk about believers as being a type of soldier in, in the army of the Lord. There's a lot of different metaphors for what a believer is, but, but Paul uses this specific metaphor of the, the victory procession to say that, you know, he sees himself as an enemy of God who has been conquered and defeated and now belongs to Jesus, like he gets to be a part of the victory as the one who was conquered by Jesus. His role in the praise is to show off, get this, to show off that he lost. I lost. My, my glory, my greatness is that I lost. I mean, being a loser, if I can say that, is what made Paul win. Isn't this wild? Doesn't, doesn't, this, doesn't this add a whole new layer to, to the sermon at this point and our lives? So again, Paul Paul's not, not bothered overly by these accusations against him that he's not eloquent and that he's not powerful because that's not how he became a Christian anyway. Paul's not manufacturing thankfulness as a way to pretend that his life wasn't really hard. He just knows that these losses are all a part of the victory parade. So let's talk about how we win. That's how Jesus wins. How we win. This is hard. This is it's, it's like amazing and hard at the same time. At least for me, because as an American, I think you know we're we're used to to being on top, and we're used to being on top because we earned it and got there. We're used to being successful, being being winners. But it was this perspective on his life and ministry that, get this, and this is, what, this is what you want, this is what you need, this is what I need. This perspective allowed him to persevere with joy amidst real loss and suffering. So church, Paul, Paul what he's showing us is that if you actually want to, to win in life, you have to lose to Jesus. And be ready to lose with Jesus, he he describes more of what this looks like in the rest of the passage. I've just got three ways that I want to show you, okay? Three ways of what it looks like to to, to lose to Jesus and lose with Jesus, which is winning. The first is is that winning is is surrendering to Jesus. That's what winning is in this life. The foundation of winning is to surrender to Jesus. This This is what he talks about when he says, I'm being led always in Christ's triumphal procession. It's a very different cultural vision than what we've inherited as, as Americans. Right? A, a winner is someone who's self-sufficient and dependent on no one and, and only answers to themselves. And, and if you're driven and talented enough, you can get the influence and you can get the money and, and the pleasure and you can just, just get what you want. But remember what Jesus said when he said, what does it, it profit a man to gain the whole world? but forfeit your what? Your soul. It's the oldest tragedy story in human history. The man or or the woman who achieves earthly success and then dies and spends eternity in hell, failing to become what God made them for. And why does that happen? Well, you know, it's because no one... You know no matter how successful you appear or how accomplished you are you you can't overcome your own mortality, no matter how hard you try, like no matter how much skill you have or money or or accomplishment, none of it can beat death and 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 know this any effort to actually defeat death is ultimately an attempt to to be God and so what Paul's saying to us, listen, if you, if you want to beat death, which that drive is in you because you were created for eternity, if you want to defeat death, you need to surrender your life to the one who did. You can't do it. We can't do it. Listen, you, you, you need to be conquered by Jesus. You need to let him conquer your pride that wants to be your own God in a different form of your pride that, that just wants to enjoy the world that, that he made with the breath that he gives you every day and then disrespect him by acting like he doesn't even exist. Winning is, is surrendering to Jesus. You, you need to be conquered by Jesus and then submit your life to him. This is, this is the picture that, that Paul is giving us, okay? This is the picture of you as a successful human, an enemy of God who, who throws up the white flag and says, Lord, I don't wanna fight against you anymore. And then you beg this conquering king to show you mercy and say, I'll do anything, just spare me my life. And let me fall in line in your victory parade. That's the real winners in this world. How, how wild is this, the real winners in this world? Who else is talking about this on a Sunday morning? Hopefully churches. The real winners in this world are those who lose to Jesus and are now following him in this victory procession. This is the humble, grateful, powerful position of being in the victory parade. And so can I just point out to you that, uh, you know, being a Christian isn't about being cool or popular or even smart or talented. Those things may be a part of who you are, but none of those things give you any more positioning with God or ability to receive his, his mercy. Being a Christian is about being humble and desperate and seeing things realistically that you need to surrender to the king. And listen, that is, that is good news. Any of us can do that. And Anyone can surrender to the king of the universe. And when you do, this is what Paul's saying, you, you join in this this victory parade. He says, I'm always being led in this triumphal procession. You, you join into this, and, and he begins to use your life for his purposes. And you know, he, it gets a little weird for me the way that he talks about this. I don't know if you remember the passage when we read it. He, he uses a metaphor now of, of your life for God's purposes. And he says, you know, basically, you've got to start smelling like Jesus. <laughs> smelling like Jesus. Let me, let me read these passages again for you. Verse 14 through 16. He says, He always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession, okay, and as we're doing that, and through us spreads the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For to God we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To some we are an aroma of death, leading to death, but to others an aroma of life leading to life. Riv, uh, winning is smelling like Jesus. Smelling like Jesus. One of the purposes of God for you is that your smell, he says, would be pleasing to him and, and influential in the lives of others. It's, a, it's an interesting metaphor. Okay, what, what is, think about it what, what is it, what does it mean to smell good to God? what Paul's actually doing here is he, he's picking up on a theme from the Old Testament of your Bible where people would offer sacrifices, often animal sacrifices to God. And it's, it's even kind of strange back then. It talks about how he smells the sacrifice and it's, and it's pleasing to him. I think Paul, Paul helps us in the New Testament with, with continuing to unpack all that this means in Christ. In, in Romans chapter 12, In verses one and two, he he takes up this theme of the sweet-smelling sacrifices, and and here's a verse you've probably heard. He says, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Okay, this, this is your true worship. And then in the rest of Romans chapter 12, he goes on to to illustrate what it would mean to have a life that is a pleasing sacrifice, a good-smelling sacrifice to God. And, And he says some very hard but basic everyday things. He says, don't think of yourself more highly than you should. Serve one another. Let your love be without hypocrisy. Outdo one another in showing honor. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. You see what it means to, to live as a sacrifice that's pleasing to God? He's talking about the way you live your life. Okay, so, so bring it together. T, to smell good to God, it's, it's basically a way of saying that, that you need to live your life among others in a way that that pleases him. And I was thinking about this this week. It, it is interesting, that smell. You know, it's one of our five senses. It's, it actually is a like a very influential uh, form of communication, isn't it? It's, it's nonverbal, okay? It's not with words, but it, it's one of our senses. And, and I mean, you can, you can know something about, about a person based on how they smell on a given day. You can know something about a place, a substance by the way that it smells to you. And think about this, Paul, he's saying, what did he say? He said, God, he, through us, he spreads the aroma of the, the knowledge of him in every place. People know something of God from this like smell that comes off of us, our, our lives, And and we're gonna end here in just a minute talking about God's God's verbal communication, but but don't miss the fact that Paul's saying, your life, listen, Christian, your life, it it actually communicates non-verbally to the world who God is. You ever thought about that before? Isn't that crazy? Like, it it actually, it makes us understand a little bit more when, when the church is called the body of Christ. We're familiar with body language, I mean, man, we could all tell stories this week about how somebody's body language, without words, really, it communicated something to us. We knew, we knew something they were feeling deep inside because of, because of not their words, but their vibe and their tone, their actions, their, their body language, their facial expression. So what Paul's saying is winning It's smelling like Jesus. He, he means for us to live these lives that, that please him by showing the world what he's like. And he says, you know, sometimes when you smell like Christ, it's, it's captivating to people, they're, they're drawn in, they wanna know why you are the way that you are. And then other times, it's repulsive, it stinks. It's not what people, it's not how people wanna live. They'll, they'll call you a total weirdo or a loser or, or worse. You know this, but more and more as Christians are, are committed to sexual integrity and infidelity, it's gonna be a really good thing for the world, but it's gonna smell really bad to people that don't want God's way of life, that, that hate God's design. Are, are there any uh, middle school or high schoolers still in here, or did, you guys, did they all leave somewhere, or are they in here today? If you're middle school or high school, let me, let me tell you something. Maybe you'll somehow remember this 10 years from now. If you, th- th- this message is for you. This isn't just for your parents. And if you choose to live for Jesus, the, the one that, that died for you, rose for you, loves you, knows you, if you choose to live for him among your friends at school, man, God, God will, he will use you greatly. But you won't be liked by everyone. And hear me, that is, that is okay. That is okay because remember, winning, you're winning. Winning is smelling like Jesus. And adults, not we need to hear the same thing too, don't we? We're not all that different than we were in middle school, sadly. <laughs> if you please God with your life among your coworkers, listen, you're, you're going to smell like death to some and, and, and life to others. And so to connect this back to Paul's whole argument in the text, we know Paul, he, he was loved by so many because of the way he lived his life and he was also chased out of towns and hated by so many because of the way that he lived his life. And listen, when he received criticism and, and sabotage and betrayal, he was, because he was following Jesus, he says, okay, I know, that I'm the aroma of death to some. And it wasn't easy for him to walk this out. He says in the passages, who is, who is adequate for these things? But I just want to invite you this morning, like Paul, to consider what, what a weighty privilege it is to be a part of this, this victory parade. And, and, and as the body of Christ... Okay, we smell like Jesus, that's winning. It shows the world what God's like for our lives. But, but lastly, we also, we also speak clearly about who he is with our words. This is just the last, last piece in verse 17. Listen to Paul's argument. For we do not market the word of God for profit like so many. On the contrary, we speak with sincerity in Christ as from God and before God. Church, uh, winning is, is speaking about Jesus. Speaking about Jesus, there, there's a lot to meditate on in this part. Maybe in the, the podcast that you guys do, we can get into more of it. But let me let me just leave you with this: the the market for the gospel it does not appear to be booming right now, for my my observations, um, at least in like a pop culture broad sense. There's a lot of ways the church kind, kind of seems to be in a, a weak position in culture. It feels like maybe we've we've lost some ground, and our message isn't what people want to hear? I think in America right now you're you're likely to be called a loser or much worse if you really follow hard after Jesus. We're not planting a church in Royal Oak cuz the mayor called me and was like we need we need this. But Jesus didn't disarm the devil by winning an earthly popularity contest. He didn't defeat death in a way that anyone would have expected Jesus the one who made our world with his power and he came into our world in weakness, the one who became a human being and he actually lived most of his, his life in obscurity and only carried out a three-year ministry where he was loved and he was hated and then he was abandoned by his closest friends and hanged on a cross by his own people and he won by losing. And so we, we follow him in this way, Jesus, he, he was not the Messiah that the market wanted in his day, but he was the Messiah that the world needed. And the same is true for us today. I'm trying to push against some of the fear that you have of like, oh, I can't give, I can't give people Jesus. That's not what people are looking for. Listen, we need to offer people what they need, not what they think they want, and Paul's like, what they need is, is simple. Oh, and anybody can do this. Anybody can do this. Sincerely telling someone about Jesus. He doesn't say spectacularly tell someone about Jesus or brilliantly tell someone about Jesus. He says we actually, we actually don't get into that marketing stuff. We just talk sincerely about Jesus. Speak with sincerity in Christ as, as from God and before God. Riv, don't try to make Jesus cool. Cool changes every week, every year. And you don't need to try to be cool. This is his parade, not yours. Remember your role in the parade. Let's tell people who he really is, what he really did for them, and demands of them, and, and leave the outcomes to him. Your, your words will be like life to some and, and death to others. So on a day where the whole drama of the day is who will win, and we as Lions fans know that we'll be back here next year (laughs) as we we stand resolutely in that hope, we've got a a deeper hope. There is a greater victory, a truer victory. It happened in an unexpected way. We win by surrendering to that king, smelling like Jesus, speaking about Jesus, let's let's do it. Let's do it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what a what a world that we've been born into, where uh, we couldn't win the victory, but you did. God, break break down our pride that doesn't want to hear a message like this about a a king that that suffered about a a salvation where we need to be conquered about a. Life where we're gonna be misunderstood uh, about a, a world that needs you but doesn't know it needs you. God, what a, I, I agree with Paul. Who, who's adequate for these things? But I also agree with Paul. We, we agree with Paul that we, we see the triumph of your son. And, and Lord, we, we need the words of scripture to actually um, be the true story that we're living in. And so those words that we are always, always, always being led in that triumphal procession that leads to gratitude, Lord, let it be true. Let that be true of this church. Would, would Lansing and this whole area smell the, the sweet aroma of your people living lives that are, that are like Christ and speaking sincerely about Christ? To you alone be the glory, amen.